Hi, folks. This is Brad Watson, pastor at Nexus Church. We are glad you have found our sermon podcast and that you're interested in our teachings. If you've ever considered financially supporting our work at Nexus Church, you can do that at nexuschurch.ca slash give. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. Happy New Year, everyone. 2024, I hope you had a, uh, a restful and meaningful Christmas break, and I, and, I, and I hope for all of you that you got lost in that week between Christmas and New Year's where you don't know what day of the week it is, what time it is. I, I hope you got to experience that. Um, but here we are, 2024, jumping into a new year, and next Sunday we're going to jump back into the tensions. That's been uh, the series we've been exploring this whole year, the tensions we experience with ourselves, and we're going to do that um, by exploring the questions Jesus asks of us. And it's interesting, if you go through the Gospels and just read the, the questions that Jesus asked people, they're, they're fascinating. In fact, Carla was reading them to me at one staff meeting. It made me emotional. They can be pretty heavy questions. And so I'm very excited about that. Next week, we're going to jump in with what do you want? That's the opening question that Jesus asked in the Gospel of John. And you start thinking about that, it's like a bit of a mind trip. What do you want? It can go layers. And so that's where we're going to start uh, next week. But I want to finish off the Advent Christmas season this morning. During Advent, we were looking at the songs we find in Scripture. We looked at Mary's song, uh, Isaiah's song, Zechariah's song, and the angel's song. And uh, there's one more song or poem I want to look at as we begin another year, leave the season of, of Christmas behind, because Advent takes us to Christmas, and so we get to the birth of Jesus, but there's an incident that happens a few days later that I'm intrigued by, caught my attention this year, particularly one line. Um, but as the story goes, right, Mary gives birth to Jesus, and as is the custom uh, in the time uh, in Israel, eight days after a child is born, you have to take the child up to the temple in Jerusalem, and you have to make a sacrifice. And the sacrifice for a child was two pigeons or two doves. Make that, and then if you're a male child, of course, you have to be circumcised in the Jewish tradition. And so Mary and Joseph, they're in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is only eight kilometers south of Jerusalem uh, as, the, as the bird flies. Um, it's only about a two-hour walk, which still, if you've got a new child, that's probably not exactly real fun. But they make this journey up to the temple. They have an encounter there. And I want to try to help us this morning maybe get into the head of Mary a little. Um, they head to the temple they're doing their business there, and this is where the story picks up. We're told there's an old man living in Jerusalem. We don't know much about this old man. His name is Simeon, but we're told that he was righteous and devout. He wasn't corrupt. He wasn't one of the, you know, sort of mean Pharisees or Sadducees. He's a man of prayer, and he lived at a time when Jerusalem was filled with economic injustice, political oppression, and religious corruption. And old Simeon, he had seen all of this. He'd seen a lot with those old eyes, but 
he didn't let that make him cynical. It's easy when you see constant injustice, oppression, corruption, it's easy to become cynical, but not Simeon. He's righteous and and devout. He hadn't been overwhelmed yet by cynicism with the world. Simeon, as old as he is, he's still holding on to hope. And Simeon realized that the story of the world might always look like oppression, corruption, injustice, but that isn't the whole story. And Simeon knew and was hoping for something new to come along. He was waiting for, uh, in, in Matthew, it's called the consolation of Israel, the Messiah. And so he's waiting for the, for the solution, the consolation of Israel to come. He's grown old, Simeon has, but his heart has not grown old. He's still clinging to hope, not to cynicism. New Year's, I don't know if any of you set any resolutions. I don't like the word resolutions. I like intentions, stuff with my intentions. And uh, one of my intentions for the new year is to be less cynical. That's one of the goals. It's not easy, though. And yesterday, I was at Costco. It was busier yesterday than before Christmas. I don't know what was happening. It was... It was wild there, and I've all, every time I go to Costco, I'm like, this to me feels one step away from the apocalypse. Like, this is where I think I might die if the apocalypse happens, trying to steal craft dinner to feed my family, and I think it's just, oh, it's just a mayhem mess there. But there's always a guy at Costco that I see every single time I'm there. Every single time I see him, and I, one time he was ratting on someone because he said he saw them steal something, and there's a whole hubala going on about that. I'm not sure if Costco employs undercover agents, but this guy is there every time I'm there, which makes me, he's probably thinking, that weird guy with the gray hair is here every time I'm at Costco, but I was just in such a foul mood, right? And I remember, I was just looking at him going, oh, you're wasting your life. Why are you always here? Why are you, why, why would you be here all the time? And there was just a hardness in my heart. And you ever get tired of your own internal voice? Like, oh, I'm so tired of myself. I'm so negative. So I'm not doing well on my intentions so far, but I'm like, I want to be less cynical, make myself weary when I'm always negative. I'm tired of other people's cynicism. Wearies me. And the portrait we have of Simeon is this old, seasoned man But his heart is not yet hardened and cynical. And he's old and he's still clinging to hope. He's he's righteous and devout. And as the story goes, we're told that it had been revealed to Simeon that he would not die before he saw the salvation of the world. He would see it with his own eyes. So Mary and Joseph, they head up to the temple. They're doing their business. and, And in that moment, the Spirit somehow speaks to Simeon. Simeon? Go to the temple right now. You got to go. Go. So he shuffles himself off to the the temple. God's somehow speaking to him. Simeon, there's something you need to see. And so he heads to the temple. He goes in amidst all of the the chaos there. And he looks at this young couple with a baby. And Spirit speaks to him right there. Simeon, right there. That's the salvation of the world. That's the one, Simeon. That baby there 
will bring a light to the world. That child is the one. You've seen salvation. And of course, Simeon's excited. So he heads over to the couple and says, Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms. I love the details that Scripture skips over sometimes. Just took the child into his arms. Are you kidding me? I don't think it happened that way. There's not a chance. There's a lot of space and distance between us and the Jewish culture 2,000 years ago, but I'm inclined to think no parent just lets anybody pick up their baby. Was that the... I love the downtown library so much. It's a mosaic of humanity there. Everyone welcome. I love it. But I've had some very odd encounters at the library when, when I think it was with Evie. Had her in a uh, stroller. <laughs> had her in a stroller. I was doing some printing at the library and this man of questionable character, I would say, came up and said, ah, your baby's cute. So thank you. I don't know why we as parents, when someone says your baby's cute, we take it as a personal compliment. Like, oh, yes, I did that, yep. Thank you. But then he just sort of hovered there. He's like, no, she's really cute. I'm like, huh. And then he said, can I hold your baby? I was like, heck no. Jeez, no, get out of here, creepy guy. No, no, no. As parents, we don't just let anyone pick up our babies, but we're told here that Simeon takes Jesus into his arms. I'm, I'm inclined to think there was something about Simeon, something disarming, something incredibly endearing and charming. He strikes me in my imagination. Must have been one of those cute old men, you know? Just, he's not crusty, he's not grumpy. A man of peace, full of hope, and his countenance must have endeared him immediately to Mary and Joseph. And so I'm picturing him, can I hold your baby? And they're like, of course, you're a cute old man, of course. He takes the baby Jesus in his arms, and in that moment, he breaks into song. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Sings this song. And any parent, I'm sure, loves when people say things about their, their children. But I'm sure for Mary and Joseph, this was extra special because you've got to remember, I'm sure very few people believe their story. Oh, <laughs> Pregnant, eh, uh, from an angel? Okay, sure there, Mary. Joseph, I had a dream, too. An angel told me this was the truth. All right, Joseph, sure. Everyone would have been cynical. The only, the only people who wouldn't have believed their story, right? You got Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then these poor shepherds come on Christmas night, and, and they're there, and they believe what they see. But everyone else is jaded and cynical, sure. But here's one more person. Ah. I believe your story. And his song is now done, and Simeon's at peace. He hands the child back over to Mary. And as he does, he looks at the couple and he tells them, I have a word for you. God's Spirit wants me to prophesy something for you. 
And so he lays Jesus back in Mary's arm, and then he speaks these words to them. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he got a picture of him looking Mary directly in the eye. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. It's a beautiful moment, but it ends rather dark, rather ominously. All this joy and hope, and Simeon ends his prophecy by looking, looking Mary squarely in the eyes, telling her, this child is going to cause you suffering. A sword will pierce your own soul too. We know from Scripture, right, that Mary was a ponderer. She was contemplative. She would have pondered these words in her thoughts. What can this mean? I mean, because everything had been sort of good news till now, right? You're going to give birth, Mary, to the salvation of the world. An angel confirms this to Joseph. Yes, it's, it's going to happen. And then these shepherds show up. This is, this is it. This is salvation of the world. But this word from Simeon, this was new. She hadn't heard this before. Your own soul is going to be pierced. That line this year, I was reading through Scripture story, that line from Simeon just stood out to me. Um, I'm Protestant by default. I don't really think I'm protesting anything, but I'm Protestant by default. This is my tradition. I didn't grow up Catholic, but in my youth, I was warned about a very dangerous Catholic tradition, the veneration of Mary, worship of Mary. This was a big deal when I was a kid. Ooh, those Catholics, they worship Mary too much. And uh, I've never been to South America, but I've heard it's a bit... Yeah, over the top there, maybe even a bit in Europe. Uh, Mary's more of a big deal than Jesus in some churches, but that, that's not really our issue here. Um, in Protestant theology, Mary's almost been erased. We talk about her at Christmas and then never again. Uh, and a lot of this was over a controversy that started around Mary. There was a debate back in the early church days. What should we call Mary. And the one side, they'd eventually be deemed the heretics. They were like, we should call Mary the mother of Jesus. And the other side was like, no, we should call Mary the mother of God. And it was a debate, and it was really about Christology, because one side, heretic side, they're like, Jesus was God, but then he wasn't, because he kind of put that aside when he came to earth. And, and then the other side was like, no, Jesus was fully God, fully human, in one being, and so Mary deserves to be called the mother of God, or the Theotokos, which literally means God-bearer. And I think the right side won in this one, I, th I think. The ramifications are enormous, right? In certain traditions, Mary is venerated in a way that's unfamiliar to many of us, um, but that's really not a problem we deal with. But it started to be said this of Mary. Her womb is more spacious than the heavens. Which, I'm thinking if Mary heard this, she might not have liked that, actually. <laughs> Mary, your womb is more spacious than that. Mm, thanks. Um, but the idea was this. In the Old Testament, Solomon builds the temple to Yahweh. And 
at the opening ceremony, so to speak, he launches into this thing that not even the heavens can contain God. And today, right through miracles like the James Webb Telescope, uh, I don't even know who's checking these numbers, but the numbers that I'm hearing are that there are billions of galaxies and trillions and billions of stars in the cosmos. And the idea is that all of the heavens cannot contain God, but in Mary's womb, God is contained. Your womb is more spacious than the heavens. It's a profound mystery that the God who created the cosmos could be contained in such a small place. But here in this story, Simeon looks at her and says, though your womb contains more than all of the heavens, bearing this child will mean a sword will pierce your own soul too. And religious art Mary is often pictured as one sword sticking into her, but there's a huge tradition of seven swords piercing Mary. What's that about? Seven sorrows of, of Mary. The first one is Simeon's prophecy. She hears these words, and this is heavy. There's a certain sorrow there. There's a second, though, because very shortly after this occurred, Herod, the crazy man decides that all children under two in Bethlehem have to be killed. And so Mary and Joseph, they have to flee. They have to escape for their lives. Second sorrow. Third, she, she loses Jesus as a child for three days. Now, I'm not keeping score, but I've never lost a child. But Kristen has. I think it was all of but three minutes. It was in the mall, and Huxley just pff, gone. And someone had to come up and like, is this your child? Oh, that doesn't look good. That's not a good look on any parent in the mall. Is this your child? But the panic in that moment, I've lost my child. But to lose them for three days, like whew, suffering of parent, Mary. And then, seeing Jesus carry his cross, seeing Jesus nailed to the cross, seeing Jesus lowered from the cross, and then seeing Jesus buried in the tomb, seven sorrows of Mary. And on the one hand, Mary is very unique in our tradition and our faith because she gives flesh to Jesus, flesh to God. She is the Theotokos, the God-bearer. But in another way, Mary is also an archetype of all who follow the Jesus path. Because what she does is she is asked to bring into the world and incarnate God's presence into the world, to give enfleshment to God in our world. And so she's an archetype of all who follow the Jesus path. The idea is surrender, submit, as Mary did. Allow God's Spirit to work 
in us to incarnate and bring God's flesh into the world, bring God's presence into the world. It's a very different thing, I was thinking of this, a very different thing than New Year's resolutions, because you make a resolution or intention of like, all this work I have to do, I need to, you know, I got my resolution, I want to be less cynical, or I want to read this amount of books, or this amount of weight, all this work you have to do, but there's something very different here when we say, I want to allow God's Spirit to work in me so that I incarnate God's presence into the world, we learn from Mary that it's really more of a surrender than it is a striving. Do with me as you will, Mary says. It's a posture as we bring God's presence into the world. Do with me as you will. Use me, God, in a way to bring enfleshment to your presence And because of this action on Mary's part, right, in Scripture she is called blessed and highly favored. She's blessed and highly favored, as are all who surrender to to God's Spirit. And yet Simeon looks at Mary in the eyes and says, Ah, but your soul too, Mary, will be pierced by a sword. And here too she is also an archetype because Mary reminds us that no matter how blessed or highly favored we are, we cannot in this life escape the sword of suffering. It's impossible. We cannot escape suffering. This fate belongs to us all. We're called to bear it with trust and grace. Mary shows us the way of the saints. We, we bear our sorrow with trust in grace. You know, it's interesting because sometimes in our tradition, suffering can almost be valorized as if suffering is a sign that you're a saint, maybe. But I've heard from a number of people who work in the medical world, and they're like, suffering is no guarantee it's going to do good things to you. In fact, suffering can make of us a lot really miserable people. Suffering can make us really selfish Suffering can make it so that our whole world collapses onto us and the only thing we care about or can think about is our own troubles and problems. It can make us mean-spirited. It can make us grumpy, cynical. Mary is a model of dealing with suffering and her soul is pierced, pierced. Our girls got their ears pierced. Not too long ago, it was fascinating watching this whole, they wanted to get it done, they got it done, and then whoever did it was like, now for 30 days, you have to, you know, I've had my ears pierced, so I know you got to make sure it doesn't get infected. So for 30 days, they're every day, night, putting the disinfectant on, and I was happy for that because this Christmas I was cutting up my prime rib, and I was cutting it up. And I went to uh, put the, the, the good knife in the dishwasher, and I went like this and just pierced my arm. And I'm like, that ain't good. I don't, I, don't think you, I don't think it's good to pierce yourself with a knife, let alone one that's been cutting into medium rare meat. Um, this is the thing. Immediately, I go get the polysporin. I try to make sure that it doesn't get infected because if you leave a wound, a piercing on its own, will get infected. And I think some of us, having suffered from life, it can be like a festering wound that gets really gross and smelly and ugly, and we allow it 
to infect our souls. But Mary is a model for us in how to take suffering. I'm, I'm, I'm taken by the image of her underneath the cross. And she doesn't say anything there. And in that, I think there's, there's a grace and beauty to it. Underneath the cross, we were just told that Mary was there bearing witness. That suffering and evil will have its day, and she's just there to bear witness, to trust in grace that that isn't the end of the story. There's been too much suffering this Christmas break. For those of you that don't know, please keep in your prayers. Nicole Vegas undergoing chemo treatment right now for cancer. Peter Thurley suffered a stroke over the Christmas break in the hospital. A lot of sorrow, a lot of suffering. A good friend of mine, um, a pastor friend, um, he found out on the third Sunday of Advent, this, the day before, that his daughter has, how do I say this, craniofacial fibrous dysplasia. It's a condition where there's a deformity in the face, and as the child grows, it will deform the face. His daughter's the same age as my daughter. And he got this news the day before he was to speak on Advent joy. Advent joy. <laughs> we had a conversation that night, he and another friend. He's like, how do I do this? I, I, I can't talk about joy right now. And seeing the pain, hearing the pain in his voice as he talks about his daughter, his child, ah, I'm going to suffer from this. And he has to speak about joy. It ended up that my other friend just gave him a sermon, said, just say it. You don't need to just go through the motions, which is what he did just to get through. Sometimes that's the way it is, right? You just got to go through the motions to get through. Richard Rohr, Carla sent me an article just yesterday. He says, life is hard and we're our own worst enemy when we deny this. Life is hard. Life is suffering. And all that we can do as followers of the way is try to bear it with trust and grace. It's not easy. But I take hope in uh, this painting. It's called The Dormition of Mary. There's a lot going on here. I love it. There's a few of these pieces. One is in, um, this isn't the one, one is in the fresco uh, in Israel. It's a fresco of Mary's death. This is one that was made in, oh, good heavens, 1296. Jacopo Torito. He painted this, and I love what's going on here because Mary is, is passing away and surrounding her are the apostles, right? Mother of the faith is passing away here. The apostles have gathered to, to see her off. And, and there, of course, we can see Jesus, but he's holding a baby. And it's a little too blurry, but the idea here is so much of... Catholic religious art is virgin with child, virgin with child, Mary with child. It's like, do you guys paint anything else besides that? It's just, it's everywhere. Mary holding baby Jesus. 
But here, it's Jesus holding Mary. Jesus welcoming Mary into the afterlife. She's wearing swaddling clothes as if she's being born into something new. Mary, who held Jesus, now being held in the arms of Jesus. There's a clever theological reversal going on here. Thousands of images of Mary holding Jesus, but here the image is reversed. Jesus had a mother, Mary. She nurses and holds him, but now at her death, it's Jesus who receives her receives her into his presence, and these grave clothes are turned into birth clothes because death is not the end. And Jesus is there to receive that birth as into death. I'm going to ask the band to come and close. I think maybe we're doing a prayer first. As we start a new year, it's always good to remind ourselves that we will be pierced with suffering. We pierced with the sword of sorrow. It's going to happen, and, and we don't need to be cheery about it. We don't need to have to try to put on a brave face all the time, but suffering is a part of life. Life is hard. Life is difficult. There are many of us, I know, suffering and in sorrow in this room right now. Jesus didn't spare it of his mother, didn't spare it of himself, his friends. Suffering is just a part of life. And we are tasked as best we can to hold that with trust and grace, hoping, trusting, that in the end, as Paul says, I consider our present suffering not worthy of the glory that will be revealed. That's not easy to trust, but we are asked to live into that. Carla, I'm going to ask you if you would lead us in the prayer and then take us into the song.